0: I bought a copy of the Papa Lips CD, High Time Now, when it was first released in 1998. One of the tracks on it, I'll Be Free, struck me as capturing the optimistic enthusiasm of youth. But what happens to the hopes and dreams of musicians just starting out? I'm Neil Ashworth, and this is I'll Be Free, a podcast about musicians finding a way to make a living, the lessons they've learned, and how they survived, or plan to survive, a life music it's
1: always a joy recording with other musicians that sound of four or five musicians in a room playing together I still record
0: that way now This. Is the second episode of the Balmain Trilogy. Declan Kelly was the founding drummer of Papalips, the Balmain rhythm and blues band from the 1990s. He went on to forge a career as a solo artist. I spoke to him in his own studio, The Nest in Surrey Hills. Why did you decide to become a drummer? Um... I think drums is probably one of those
1: instruments where, you know, it's an immediate kind of visual and audio response that you're seeing. So I think I must have been about seven or eight when I first sort of experienced someone playing a drum at a gig and my mum used to sing around Sydney, so she would drag me along to some gigs and, or sound checks or rehearsals and I'd always just gravitate towards the drums and then eventually one of her drummers that she was working with sort of saw the keen interest and pulled me aside and gave me some some lessons every now and then. And
0: And you're from a musical family by the sound of it then?
1: Yeah, just on my mum's side, but um, I guess culturally we have been brought up around music. Like, my mum's from Wellington, she's Māori, and so we grew up around the keen love of soul and funk and All that good stuff they were listening to back then, plus all the cultural, the Kapahaka group that we sometimes would be part of. And then on my dad's side, he was born in Dublin, so the Irish side had music is a big part of that culture too. Maybe here in Australia it's sort of that stuff the scene is seen as fascinating, but over there it's like the norm, you know. It's just the local pub is the place that the community gets together, sing songs of the village and the time, you know, and it's the place where the stories get told and the news of the area is shared. So someone to break out into song is just like a kind of like a healing. But yeah, I love going to islands, beautiful.
0: When do you start to get into playing in bands?
1: Me and my mum moved to Balmain. As you probably know, Balmain was bustling with live music back in the 80s and 90s, so we, we moved there in the late 80s. Every pub had live music, some of them almost every night of the week, so I met some locals around there where I started my first band when we were like late 14 years old, 15. One of the singers was Alex Lloyd, who went on to... Amazing things. Yeah, great fame, and I still uh, keep in touch with him. And uh, So yeah, we were 14, 15 playing some Battle of the bands and then eventually we are playing in pubs underage. I think back then the laws were a little bit not as strict but um, we still were playing. We weren't meant to be playing in pubs at that age.
0: And then somehow you and Mitch Granger end up in the Bondi Cigars.
1: Yeah so the Bondi Cigars had already been three albums in and were members of the Hippos and there was like this sort of branch of you know, the Balmain scene that was going on with the Rhythm & Blues players. Their drummer had left to go back to Perth for family matters. Um, the Bonday cigars approached me from seeing me playing with, with Alex Lloyd and this band called The Bee. Asked me to come on a tour, just like a trial. It ended up where they liked me and it was like my first tour and I was in love with being on the road and touring and from there, yeah, and then Mitch joined later on and we toured the country pretty much solidly for like four or five years driving around.
0: How old were you at this stage?
1: When I first joined them I was 17 straight out of school not really knowing what I wanted to do career-wise. The elders in the cigars they um, put me on a wage which I was pretty grateful for at that, that age to be put on a wage and playing live music was um, you know pretty much unheard of and I got to see the country and meet lots of characters and people that i still see these days coming to gigs the family that was built around that is kind of a a wide net
0: touring so is it packing the gear in a tarago and hitting the road
1: pretty much the bonday cigars did it with two four-wheel drives so at any given time it would be like circling the country and our bass player, Al Britton, was the booker, so he would just ring ahead and book a few months in advance so and try and time it so we could just circle the country or go through a bit of back and forth here and there and kind of fascinating.
0: Because you could in those days, couldn't you? There were so many venues, particularly up and down the East Coast.
1: Everywhere, like we went over the West Coast and did all the way up, you know, through the Kimberleys, over to Darwin, down to Catherine, performed at some Aboriginal communities then would go up the center, you know, playing Cuba Petey, Alice Springs, and all these remote places that were, you know, pretty much starved for music. So if a band would come and play, they would be well appreciated because travel all that way and you bring some music to the town and it brings the community together. So yeah, it was fascinating to kind of get introduced to the country that way.
0: This sort of first contact with the Aboriginal communities out there and their culture?
1: For me, yeah, that opened my eyes from being brought up in Sydney where the traditional people here have been dispersed and, you know, sent off to reservations and taken off their traditional country. So to not being privy to that growing up and then come 18, go to these communities up in the Northern Territory and seeing... Communities that are thriving, they're speaking their language and singing traditional songs, still with kind of the, the effects of colonialism, with the influence of alcohol and bad food introduced to the communities. You're seeing all that play out, but the good thing about up there is they're still living in their traditional, their culture and values and hunting and singing the songs of thousands of years old probably. So, yeah, it was a real eye-opener.
0: How did we get to Papa Lips then?
1: So, yeah, Mitch and I, being of the same age and knowing each other for, like, a good while, decided to start a band with his sister, Cara. Uh, She must have been about 18 when we decided to start a band. And she had a great voice and she was playing guitar really well the two of them brother and sister and they already had kind of an affiliation of what music they'd liked and so we still had the rhythm and blues influence also someone else we grew up with was Rowan Lane so he was keen to be part of the band as well and then it sort of just had a few external players coming in every now and then like Clayton Doley Hammond player from Adelaide, who also played in the Bondi Cigars for a little bit. You know, you you see how it sort of all plays out. There's like a, it's like a family. Has uh, different players coming in and out. Later on, we recruited. A Uruguayan percussionist named Danny Guerrero. So that brought an element of Afro-Latin flavours to rhythm and blues, and yeah, it was pretty much a fun time, rootsy music, but with um, the Afro influence.
0: So it uh, would have played into your hands as well as a drummer, wouldn't it? Because yeah, that's right. But I mean, having said that, a rhythm
1: and blues band, or you know, anything that's sort of kind of influenced by you know music that born out of the slave trade movement. Fun soul, reggae, all that rootsy stuff, that the rhythm section is pretty much the whole band I think sometimes the emphasis of it's just the drums driving the rhythm if you listen to all that good rhythm and blues and all that good reggae, and if you strip everything out and leave just the guitarist, they're playing the rhythm as solid as the drummer when you hear reggae music in dub where the actual mixer is just taking elements out like he'll just leave the drummer in and be you know doing dubs on that the drummer's playing it pretty rootsy and solid but then you might just pull that out and leave the guitarist in and the guitarist is holding the rhythm as solid so it's like yeah everyone is the rhythm machine in in those groups
0: We come up to that time where uh, Cara and Mitch go to uh, the U.S., Twin Towers happens, come back. Lips keeps going for a while.
1: Yes. Yeah, the time they went to the U.S. and they were there during that attack on, on New York, they were pretty much over there to shop Puppalips, who'd changed their name to Granger. So there was more of a, I guess, a commercial shift to focus the band, you know, brother or sister element. So they were over there going to, I think it was Atlantic um, Records and Warner. And so they had all these meetings set up and then bang, the Twin Towers get hit and they were pretty much stuck there for a few weeks without any outcome, you know, everything shut down. So it was one of those times where it just sort of from that incident you know it just shifted everyone's mindset a bit and and then yeah I was sort of just doing other things on the side as well writing my own music and playing drums for other people here and honing the craft of drumming and
0: I mean it is this time in the early noughties where your sound starts to become your own tales from the neighborhood
1: yeah well um I mean I've always had a deep love of Reggae influenced music. Yeah, I was writing songs throughout that time whilst playing with Papa Lips and doing the other stuff. So, got enough songs uh, together.
0: And then
1: met with. A radio jock by the name of Andy Glitra, who used to be on Triple J's. He was on Friday Night Groove Train, uh, which was like a popular show, and he had um, you know a lot of really interesting guests. And he would break certain musics in of the soul, funky, inspired kind of musics. Uh, so yeah, he got behind me and helped me fund this record. I recruited Mitch Rowan and a bunch of other musicians that had been playing with at the time. So, yeah, we recorded Tales from the Neighbourhood up at Big Jesus Burger in Surrey Hill, which was one of those studios that was, just had tape machine and beautiful old analogue gear and we could record pretty much live. Not a cheap process, but um, worth it, the sound going straight to tape and being mixed in that way That from the, all the records that we love from the 60s and 70s. Pretty much live, straight to tape, through some beautiful old... Old gear, you know.
0: Because this is really where the change is happening, isn't it? That sort of 95 to 2005 era where Garage Band comes out, you've got the digital workstations, you've suddenly got auto tune sort of features and you know, pro tools and everything is starting to happen. You wanted something analogue.
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty much just from all the records that inspired me growing up and that sound of just four or five musicians in a room playing together with the, you know, that nostalgic sound of analogue flavour, you know, it's just, I always tend to resonate towards that. I still record that way now. But, I mean, not downplaying the digital influence, like, because... It's a lot easier to record these days, and it opened up the access for musicians to record at home and even as a tool just to write and get it down really quick. It's um, incredible.
0: One of the first areas affected by digital music was drumming.
1: There's a whole lot of talk.
0: The drum machine was one of the first things that came in.
1: Yeah, yeah, that I guess it was kind of daunting for a lot of drummers put out of work a bit, maybe thought that was it for them and their duties, which happened and it's still happening with sampling. And one guy that's got the skills and all the plugins can pretty much program the whole piece of music that is required for a certain session. You can do the drums, he can do the strings, he can do the, you know, so it rules out this whole ecosystem of, a, you know, the session players. But you can tell. It's a difference when it's just real characters, real players, just putting it down. So nothing beats the real thing, I say. Yeah, the space is—it's a big factor, and I guess it's just depending on the song and what musicians are, that you've chosen for each track. You respect how they're going to influence the songs you've, you want to record, and they can bring certain elements that will highlight. And, bring emotion and character to an arrangement of a song you know so it's always a joy recording with other musicians that you appreciate and love and seeing them bring stuff that you hadn't thought of for a a particular recording.
0: This is also the time where you get the rise of Pacifica sound which is that dub reggae South Pacific bands coming out I'm thinking Fat Freddy's Drop for example
1: Yeah, um, as you know quite well, the influence of Caribbean music, especially reggae music over Aotearoa and New Zealand and um, the islands is pretty strong. So, and also just music that's more of the African influenced dominates the radio and in New Zealand, isn't it? I mean, Fat Freddy's is a great example of a band that, that New Zealand resonates with big time. And so they tour over here and I don't think radio sort of gets behind them like they do back in New Zealand, but they're still popular. They've got heaps of expats here to support.
0: Is radio that important anymore?
1: No, I mean, it used to be. It's like you'd pitch you single to radio and hopefully Triple J or commercial station and get behind it and it would sort of make or break you. But now it's just, you can have your own network network and where you place it and, yeah, the streaming services are the new kind of radio.
0: It's caused a bit of fragmentation, but it's also made it easier to get your music out there, hasn't it?
1: Made it easier... But the platform is still, I guess, trying to find monetization priorities. At the moment, it feels like the artist is being sort of not, not paid its due. But then on the other side, I hear that Spotify doesn't really make big profits at the moment, which I find it hard to believe. But, you know, I'm not an economist and don't understand that side of big corporate business. But it definitely needs to balance out where the priorities being on some of the other aspects of the business side of a corporation such as Spotify, where they see the value of the musician as the prime person that should be paid, you know? That's what it feels like.
0: How can we dance where the world is turning? How can we sleep while i brings me to uh, Diesel and Dub. There's a lot of collaborations in it. Yeah,
1: so it all started with two of my great loves is reggae music and then I have thought about how would, you know translating some of the songs of Midnight Oil into reggae feel and, and work. And to me, Midnight Oil is one of those bands that sort of just, they send out big messages of the times and historic pictures of big incidences and they're a definite bastion for um, getting behind the First Nations here. And I thought it might be a good chance chance to fuse like a dub version of their music but feature a lot of different singers but primarily first nations singers to sing the songs of the oils that were you know written by five white guys from the northern beaches now sung by some first nations people so and then i just put the word out to the community that i i know and people were right into it
0: Tell us some of the collaborators you
1: had on that. Yeah, Frank Yammer, who's from a little town hundreds of miles from Alice Springs. So he's he's full desert, First Nations. He's been around for years and has his own career. Oh, the river,
0: the bloodwood. The desert.
1: Emma Donovan, she's uh, an amazing singer that she sings Dead Heart. She's been singing that with the Black Armband already, so she had that internalized and she brings absolute new meaning to it when she delivers.
0: That cannot be
1: Then I got some um, other great singers like that I've played drums with, Katie Noonan, who is from up Queensland. Used to play with George and then has carved her own solid career just under her name
0: it is really well produced there's detail in it there's constant decoration but also it's a very heartfelt album I think uh, Katie Noonan Power shared. and the Passion Power yes. and the Passion it's a really good version
1: yeah thanks I'm glad you like it uh, yeah well I mean she does to most things she's a great artist but she yeah like a lot of the singers that I put my call out to I sort of ask them which songs that they connect with and of the oils and she was put her hand up for that one. And then Alex Lloyd, who we had our first band together, to name a few. Who else is on there? Radical Sun, another great First Nations singer. He does short memory. He'd not really connected with Bindot Oil until presented him with this song. I said, this song you'd probably connect with and resonate with. and um, It made him see the band really for the first time and what their message was trying to convey.
0: The Sulu and the Navajo The Belgians in the Congo show me Plantation in Virginia
1: And then to put the cherry on the cake with that album I got linked with a great dub producer, Mad Professor He's he's from the Caribbean but um, lives in London And has been doing dub for like, he's one of the innovators He got mad famous from doing a dub version of Massive Tax, one of their albums Uh, So I flew over to London and stayed with him for a couple of weeks And he did sort of most of the mixing and some uh, dubs on the the tracks
0: you must be pretty happy with
1: it. One of my proud moments for sure and then from that we got to tour it. We did the Byron Bay Blues Festival which was amazing. They featured us there in four days which was pretty much like opened us up to a whole bunch of other festivals and and then we got to, we actually debuted like our first gig was up at Garma Festival in Arnhem Land which is um, not a cheap exercise like getting up there is like pretty much flying overseas, three flights so to get even, we had a condensed version of the band was still a lot of money but uh yeah it was great to open it there because gama is like where the local tribes up there get together it's under the mandawe unipingu the Yothu Indi foundation uh, where they get people from all different aspects like politicians ceos bank leaders and so it's sort of like built around discussions of how they can make First Nations a bit more respected, and talk about treaty, they talk about land rights, and all the big issues that kept getting swept under the carpet. But this is a platform where the actual, you know, politicians can step on to country and feel like they're on the country where um, the people are speaking their language. Um, they're seeing how rich the culture is, and How they can work with them to try and better the plight for the uh, Aboriginal people. Yeah, it's taken time in Aotearoa to get thus far. But I mean, one of the things that makes it a bit easier is the central language of Tereo Maori. Over here it's just like there's hundreds of languages and dialects and yeah, I mean it's it, it's a beautiful um, tapestry that's here, you know, it's like language groups that are interconnected with other tribes and it's like it's doable to for this nation to maybe try and work it and integrate it in local regions where you can just learn languages from the area that you're living in it's just a matter of time before it starts to be integrated into the education system.
0: There's, there's a bit of a gap then between Diesel and Dub uh, and your 2019 release with Views with a Room. That's a much gentler album.
1: Yeah, um, it felt like after Diesel & Dub, which was pretty much a collaborative album, Views With A Room took me into a different place where it was self-reflective and the music I was really resonating with was gentle in its production approach and it was how I felt like I wanted to record the music didn't feel like it needed to just be in your face I just wanted to make it more spacious and just more reflective of the lyrical content with melody because
0: you do all the vocals in that album
1: pretty much yeah yeah Yeah, I took my time with it I didn't really have a a deadline or any time to get it out or a label behind me so I just approached it in a flowing gentle way really and it sort of coincided with me setting up this studio The Nest which is where usually you pay money for a studio and you got four days to track and get as much done as possible but having my own place I could just take my time and let it grow organically and approach it in a a different kind of way but i mean that's what i like with a lot of my favorite artists you know they'll just do a particular album and then the next album is so different but why not why box yourself into one particular thing you know and there's a whole world out there of many goods you know
0: arrives. So how did that affect you? Yeah,
1: well, Views With The Room came out just before that in late 2019 and we had the plans to tour the album and you know just go to festivals and do the the usual you put an album out you take it out to the people so a lot of those plans got put aside and so I mean it, it still got out there and people heard it through the streaming services but I think it still got legs it's just one of those things that happened for a lot of different artists they had tours booked done all the publicity and then it just all went a bit left so In the space of a couple of weeks. Yeah, and a lot of artists lost a lot of money on that, as did other businesses, I'm sure. But, I mean, during 2020 and the lockdown, I was fortunate to have this space here, The Nests, where I could come in and just write and ended up starting a new record in here. Amongst all the the lockdown and the pressure that brought, it felt like it was a good time to just bunker down and create and write.
0: Touring? Are you still doing gigs, still getting paid for that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, 2020 was ruled out. Generally, when there's no pandemics and stuff, I'd be touring. I'd be, you know, sessioning with a number of different artists where I could make my living that sustains me. My own songwriting and albums you know, they sustain me, but not as solidly as I'd like, but it's a growing process. And then I have my studio, which do all my recordings in now, but also record and produce other people. So, yeah, it's, it's a juggle. you got to try and find different ways to survive in this business.
0: There are now so many skills you need. You need to know Instagram, you need to know Facebook pages, you need to know how to link them. You need to know all about DAWs. You have to build up this whole repertoire of Are you comfortable with all those things when you're you're a drummer?
1: Yeah, not really. Like I have certain I have a, a great co-manager that helps me with the social media side of things. I'm Still a bit of a novice with all that and how to put stuff out. It's amazing, you know, like kids these days, they can, they've sort of grown up with the language of computers and to go in and learn logic or Pro Tools, or it's ready for them to just. Learn it, like, and with YouTube there to assist them, they can have people, you know, giving you online demonstrations, and you can learn stuff pretty easy th- these days. I guess for you know that older generation that didn't grow up around computers, is you know just they're not wired that way, but the access is still there. So I'm getting better at it, trying to.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm the same hey eh? It's, it's not natural to me, you know. Particularly say Instagram, which is a really photo-based thing. I mean, this head, you know, not something. Yeah that young kids are going to pause on as they uh, as they (laughs) scroll through
1: (laughs) well you know what yeah i don't picture you doing selfies and
0: things like that (laughs) summarizing where you are now i mean we're slowly coming out of lockdown things are happening how does the rest of 2021 look for you?
1: Yeah, well, I guess some of the recordings that I've got ready to go and I'm going to put, put a plan to release some of that stuff this year. So I've got a single that's talk, like sing, um, singing about the actual point in time when everything was announced that we're locking down and businesses have to shut and the trepidation of, of the unknown sort of kicked in. So I wrote a song about that and that's going to be released in the next month or two, so... Uh, And then, business as usual, really, just a bit more recording. Uh, I've got some tours booked. I was supposed to play the Blues Festival, and we all know what happened there, which, I must say, was... I guess a political maneuver more than anything like it could have went ahead there was no cases from all the testings afterwards the blues fest lost lots and lots of money that they'd already put into setting it up publicizing the festival a lot of musicians stall vendors all lost out because of that one decision yet sport gets to go ahead the easter show went ahead yeah it just feels like sometimes the arts gets a bit put on the they'll be right or they'll get over it but it's the opposite it's like the arts is sort of already hanging them by a thread especially after COVID. and then for that to happen was just like a real blow to the community so hopefully the government get behind and assist within the losses that the blues Fest had it looks like they're moving it to october but that's just hearsay at the moment. Nothing is set in stone, as we (laughs) all know.
0: So sort of summarising your life as it is now, I mean, how do you make a living as a drummer?
1: Yeah, well, it's a juggle, you know. I'm in a good position where I've got a a wide network of different bands and uh, people that I call family, you know, that I've known a long time in the music business that keep me employed, they enjoy the musicality that I bring. So I just want to keep getting better and keep those relationships building stronger and and I mean it's the only thing I really know so uh and the only thing I'll really want to be doing. That's the plan. Just do it. Dream of us and I don't want away. So good inside my dancing over fields of
0: that uh, Balmain 90s scene, so it was like a great flowering, wasn't it? When you look at Cara and Rowan and yourself Guerrero and Alex Lloyd, all these great talents came out of that particular pub scene in a suburb in Sydney.
1: Yeah, it's kind of infamous, really, like there was... C.W. Stone King, he's from Balmain too. And, and not just that, I mean, a lot of our peers and elders that were kicking about are still playing, like Continental Rob Seuss from The Mighty Reapers and Dynamic Hypnotics, he's still gigging around. The Bondas Cigars, they're still touring around. Members of the Hippos, Bridie King. It's like this wide branch of what was a thriving scene in Balmain. It's still you know still doing tours and playing around sydney it's just sydney's evolved into this i don't know expensive real estate run town so i mean balmain is not what it used to be that's for sure they still have live music every now and then but it's not like bohemian
0: too many complaints and
1: that's it yeah people that can afford to buy into a place had has an established venue that can actually the law is on their side to shut down entertainment happening there so yeah it needs to change
0: so uh, are you
1: free <laughs> i'll be free yeah i mean i feel as free as you can be and the constraints of you know trying to survive
0: and this crazy world yeah free enough declan is currently working on another solo album you can hear his music on spotify or other streaming music services he's on instagram declan kelly music and he has his own website declan music.com in the next episode i talk to cara granger Vocalist and guitarist for Papa Lips, who has forged a successful solo career in the United States. Produced and mixed by Neil Ashworth on Goringai Country. The intro music is I'll Be Free by Papa Lips from the album High Time Now. Check out the website fishwishing.com.au for all the other details, including a track list.